The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. A reading from the Gospel according to St. John in the second chapter. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone jars of water for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine, he did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew The steward called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and you are our Redeemer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. So it's been a couple of weeks since we talked about the creed together, right? So let's do a quick, uh, a quick refresher. A creed means I believe, and when we say I believe, we mean I trust. Believing means trusting. We believe, we trust in one God. One God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's right. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is our Father because He adopts us. He makes us a part of His family. And we believe in one Son, one Lord, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ means our King, Jesus. The King who is coming to rescue us, to save us. Now, we had a memory verse. Have you guys been practicing your memory verse? Maybe, kind of, a little bit, yeah? Let's say it together, because it's all about King Jesus who comes to rescue us. Who wants to start? Tully, you want to start? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Good. That's Jesus, our King, who comes to save us. Now, the next thing that we say in the Creed is that Jesus, who comes to save us, is light from light. That Jesus is light from light. He is light from light because he comes from God. And so what we say in the Creed is that we believe that God is light. Now, one thing that is different in our church than maybe in other churches that you've been in is that we have lots and lots of candles. We love candles. We have an entire service in just a few weeks that's just about candles, about how much we love them. We say, Lord, these are our candles. We want you to bless them. We're going to use them for the rest of the year. Yes, Tully? Why do we like candles so much? That's a good question. Why do we like candles so much? Who has an idea? Anybody have a guess? Because they give us light. That's good. Why else? Because Jesus is light. That's true too. Uh-huh. Yeah. And in the ancient world, candles, especially the kind of candles that we use, were very expensive. People would oftentimes burn oil. They would make a lamp and they would burn oil. We have an oil lamp that burns over next to our tabernacle on the wall. It's just a, a piece of string that sits in oil and it burns like a lamp. But candles were expensive, and so they also are an offering. There's something beautiful and something that, that we bring to God. So it's a way of us saying thank you to God. But did you know that when we light the candles in the room, that there's a special order that we light them in? Who knew that? Who knew there was a special order that we... Ian knew. Ian knew that we lit them in a special order. I know. Did you know, Mo? Mo, do you remember which candle in the room we light the very first? That's right, we light the one on the left. It's called the north candle. Why do we light that one first? Do you remember? No. Tell it, do you remember? Um, maybe because God's, when, if we go keep going straight, maybe we'll, that's what happens. That's a good guess. Not quite, but that's a good guess. Ian, do you have a guess? Um, I can't okay, well, maybe another time. Okay, so what we do in this room is we pretend like this room has a compass in it you guys know what a compass is a compass shows us the way to go north and in this room wherever we look when we celebrate the eucharist that's east all right so when we're sitting in this room we're facing east now it's nice for us in this room we're actually facing east when we're facing east some churches you can't do that but in our church we face east and so that means that this candle is on the north side of the room and you know what when the sun rises it rises in the east and it goes through the south part of the sky and it sets in the west but where does the sun never go in the north it never goes in the north and so for us when we tell the story about jesus we tell the story about light coming into darkness and the place where the light doesn't touch is the north so that candle is called the gospel candle that's the candle that represents jesus's light and it's the first candle that we light because the very first thing that we say about our worship together is that jesus is our light and his light goes into dark places and then that candle lights all of the other candles that are in the whole room all of the lights in the room come on because jesus is our light he's light in darkness what kind of darkness do you think we're talking about when we say that do we mean that the room is dark when i get here in the mornings 
no, it's not dark in here when I get it. Maybe you probably would want a light on if you were going to like read a book with small print, but it's not dark in here when I get here in the morning at nine o'clock, is it? No. What kind of darkness are we talking about? Dolly? Sin. Sin. That's true. Or when it's nighttime. That's right. When the sun isn't shining. Moira? Right? There's, there's all kinds of darkness in the world. It comes from sin and it comes from death. It comes from the devil. It's, it's darkness that, that is in us and it's darkness that we do to other people. It means, the darkness means being away from Jesus. That's, that's what darkness means. It means that we, that Jesus is light that goes to places where he isn't. Darkness can be where people don't know about King Jesus. And so we light our candles to tell each other and to tell other people about Jesus, who is our king. That's why we light our candles, because the candles teach us what we're supposed to do in our lives, which is to tell people about the light of Christ, to tell people about King Jesus. Now, I have a new memory verse for you guys. All right, it's on the coloring page. So if you didn't get a coloring page, make sure that you grab a coloring page on your way out because Jesus was sitting with his disciples and he told them, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus comes to give us light and he comes to give us life. So I want you guys to take that sheet and color it, and that's going to be our memory verse for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be practicing that together, all right? Ian, did you have a question before we finished up? Um, you know when the miracle goes back to the solar system? The meteor goes back into the solar system? Oh, the moon is in the solar system. That's right, yeah. The beginning of the Bible, it talks about God giving light to the whole of creation, to everything that he made. He said that he gave the sun as, as a light and that he gives us the moon as a light. The moon is a reminder to us about the way that God loves us. Fire. All right. Let's pray. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. So the lesson from the gospel today is the lesson about the wedding at Cana in Galilee. And whenever I do a wedding, I sit down with a group, you know, the night before, and I kind of run the wedding. I sort of am the, the wedding coordinator, and I, I act as the, as the officiant, all right? And when I sit them down, I always say the same thing to them. Anything for the next 36 hours or so could go wrong, you, don't, you would not believe the kinds of things that go wrong when somebody has a wedding. But at the end of this, no matter what else goes wrong, you are going to walk out of this room tomorrow married. It's supposed to be a very comforting thought because stuff goes wrong in weddings all the time and people, like, they go into panic mode. When, when things go wrong at the wedding, like, you know, somebody trips and falls down or, or technology isn't, you know, working correctly. One time I did a wedding uh, at a horse farm. And I don't know if you know this, but horses are drama queens. And if people are near a horse and they are not paying attention to the horse, just like if somebody is near a five-year-old and is not paying attention to a five-year-old, they are going to try to get your attention. And I want you to know that trying to preach a sermon 
out in the middle of a field while a horse is trying to upstage you <laughs> is not an optimal way to be uh, to, to be leading uh, to, to be leading a wedding. It's super distracting with them running back and forth and making ridiculous noises. Oh, horses! Things always go wrong at weddings. They go wrong at weddings because weddings are one of those like special events. It's not something that we do every single week over and over and over again. And so there are lots of moving parts. There's lots of people that have responsibilities that, don't, that, that aren't used to having those responsibilities. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong and something always go wrong at weddings. And so I always sit the bride and the groom and everybody who's in the wedding party down. I say, listen, something's going to go wrong between tonight and tomorrow when the, when the service happens but it's okay. Don't panic. At the end of this, you guys are going to be married. Now I say that because in our culture, weddings are essentially a social celebration. It's, it's us as friends and family who are sitting down with a bride and a groom and saying, we recognize that, there is, that you guys are entering into a new stage in your life and we are excited about that. We're excited to be here with you. And we just want to say how happy we are for you. That's not true about weddings in most of the rest of the world. And it certainly was not true about weddings at the time of Jesus. Because in the majority world, it's not just your close friends who come to the wedding. And it's not just your family that you like being around who comes to the wedding. You have a social obligation when you are having a wedding to invite everyone. And not only do you have a social obligation, but when you have a wedding, if the wedding doesn't go well, or if something goes wrong, or if it isn't the right kind of wedding, if you don't meet the expectations of other people who are coming to that wedding, it will negatively impact your standing, your status in society as a whole. One commentary that I was reading this week talked about somebody who had a wedding and it wasn't big enough. It wasn't perceived as being big enough. And so he had trouble later in life getting a job because people in his community didn't think that he took his responsibilities seriously. Somebody who didn't throw the right kind of wedding was seen as untrustworthy. That's, we gasp a little bit. We're like, well, because he didn't throw the right kind of party? That seems dumb. But it doesn't. When you, when you think that what, what the person is communicating is, is their seriousness in life, what the person is communicating, what the groom and the groom's family are communicating is their own status. But they're also, in, in, that, in, in that wedding, they are showing us the kind of character that they have. We don't have those kinds of labels that we put on people typically, at least, not, at least not always. If we're being totally honest, we do judge people based on the kinds of parties that they throw and based on the kind of food that they serve. Jessica and I were talking about this this week, and you know, I, I, I remember my parents telling us you know, that they, they got a, a, a wedding dress you know, from, from uh, somebody, somebody local, and that after the, the ceremony, they went into the church fellowship hall, and they had a sheet cake and after-dinner mints. 
and that was the wedding party. And that was normal. That was perfectly normal in the 60s, the 70s, even back before that, it was perfectly normal. But if somebody did that today, let's be honest, be real honest about yourself, you'd be like, I don't know about that. That was, that was kind of a cheapskate there, the way that you handled that. There's, there's a part of us that has an expectation, right? Maybe we don't want to sit down for a full you know, nine-course dinner. You know, that, that might be, you know, a little bit too much, but we have an expectation about that. And that's true in, in the rest of the world. But here's what is important for us to remember that at the beginning of this passage, it says that Jesus went to a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and it was the third day of the wedding because wedding celebrations in Jesus's world go on for at least seven days a full week that you, as the host, are responsible for housing the people who are coming. You are responsible for feeding the people who are coming. In many cases, you're responsible for clothing the people who are coming. You have to, you don't just give party favors, you give special robes. Jesus hints at this later in his parables. You give special clothing to the people who are coming to the wedding. You have this incredible, immense obligation. And so here is Jesus sitting at this wedding that has been going on uh, you know, for several days. And halfway through this week-long celebration, the wine runs out. The wine runs out. Now, we're not just talking about wine like somebody who has a wedding and has an open bar. Okay, Wine is life. Now, I, I, I don't mean that it wasn't wine. It was wine. All right. Let's not, let's not pretend that these people hadn't been drinking just wine and dancing and, and having a party for three days. That was absolutely what was happening. But wine is, is just what people drink at that time. There are lots of different kinds of wine that people drink at that time. And it says that the wine runs out. You imagine going to a party where they say, we don't have any drinks for you. Imagine going to that party where they say, no, we don't serve drinks here. Oh, just like a cup of water. No. You can go drink out of the well. You know, if you, you want to get your own, that's fine, I suppose. They don't even have water to offer. They have giant pitchers that, that are used for, for ritual cleansing, for hand washing, uh, but they don't have water available for everybody. The, the wine has run out. And Mary goes to Jesus and says to him, They've run out of wine. And he says this phrase, and we've talked about this phrase that he says before, right? What is it to you and to me? Which is a weird kind of a phrase. It, it, it's, it, it's hard to put into English exactly what it means because it has lots of different levels, right? And so sometimes commentators say, well, Jesus was just annoyed or Jesus was entrenched in the patriarchy or Jesus was saying, it, my, my, my time is not yet. And so he's saying, what, what business is it of ours? It's not my job to reveal myself. But I don't think that any of those help us to understand the conversation that Jesus and Mary are having because what he says to her is, why does this affect us? She says that they've run out of wine, and he says, why, why does that affect us? Essentially, what he says to her is, it's not my wedding, is it? But there's a question there. It's not just Jesus sort of smarting off at his, at his mom and telling her to go away and leave him, leave him be, because that's not the response that she has. She immediately goes to, to the people who are, who are offering up service and says to them, do whatever he tells you to do. There's an assumption that she makes that, that this plea that she's given is going to be heard and that there's going to be a response.
He says, is it my wedding? It's not my wedding, is it? I think the trouble that I have is that oftentimes when I read this passage, I think about weddings. And when we think about weddings in relationship to Jesus, we have this assumption that like, if Jesus shows up at a wedding, Jesus is going to be the one who's running the show, right? Jesus is sort of the officiant of the wedding. He's, he's the one who's going to make everything happen at the wedding that happens. Or maybe we have sort of an eschatological end times, uh, you know, story that we want to tell about that. And we, we hear that word wedding and we immediately think, oh, well, this is like the wedding feast, right? Jesus is the groom. But Jesus looks at Mary and he says, I'm not the officiant. I'm not the groom. What is this to us? I'm neither of those things. Because it says in verse two that Jesus was invited to the wedding and he brought along his disciples. He was invited to a wedding and brought along his disciples. Jesus was there as a guest. He was a guest at a wedding along with his mother. Jesus is simply there as a part of the, the, the wedding celebration, the wedding party, to be a guest. He's there to celebrate with the family. He's there to congratulate the family. And Jesus is there to feast. This is a party, and Jesus is going to the party. See how quickly we skip over that? We sort of, you know, we, we, we have this image, at least I do. Maybe this isn't true for you, but when I read this story, I sort of see Jesus, you know, dourly sitting over in the corner you know, with his, with his furrowed brow, watching everything going on. That's not what's happening. Jesus is at a party, three days into the party. Jesus is with these people, immersing himself in their lives. Jesus is present in the lives of the people who are around him. Jesus is present with them, not as an officiant, not as the groom. He's with them. He's just there with them. How often in our lives do we expect Jesus to be our officiant? How often in our lives do we think about Jesus and think, well, Jesus is my king, and so it's his job to teach, and it's his job to guide, and it's his job to, to rule, to give rules, to create order, to do all of those things. It's his job to give us all of the things that we need. It's Jesus' job to be in charge. So if Jesus is here, Jesus is the one in charge. That's his job. And how often in our lives do we encounter Jesus and just assume that he's, he's here right now in this moment to be the groom, that it's his job to embrace us, that it's his job to provide for us. And how often in my life do I simply invite Jesus to be a guest? Think about what that would look like for us to invite Jesus to be a guest. To give clothes to Jesus for the feast. To give food to our king who sits beside us. To find a place of lodging for the Lord. What would it look like for us to invite Jesus to be a guest? I'm not saying just a guest at our parties, although I imagine that there is a way for us to 
to think creatively about what it would look like for us to invite Jesus to be a guest at our parties. But what does it look like for us to invite Jesus to simply sit down at the table with us? Not invite Jesus into a space and expect things out of him, but simply to be in Jesus's presence, to be present with Jesus. Not bringing along our own needs and our own expectations, but simply to be in the presence of Jesus. The trouble is that a lot of times when, when, when we think about that, we immediately make the excuse, well, I don't have enough. Which is literally what happens in the gospel lesson today. The gospel lesson is a groom, is a, is a house owner, is a, is a family who invites Jesus to be their guest, and they don't have enough. They don't have enough to welcome Jesus as a guest. They don't have enough to give to him. Neither does the woman in Samaria who's sitting at a well. Neither does the little boy who just brought along a loaf and, and a handful of fish. They don't have enough to welcome Jesus as a guest, and yet they do. They draw water for Jesus. They give up the last of their wine for Jesus. They give Jesus the only food that they brought with them. They gave out of their poverty, and then they realized that the guest that they invited was a king. A king who does supply all of our needs. A king who loves them and who celebrates with them and who rejoices with them. A king, a Lord, who's present with his people. And how often do we come to the Lord's table expecting him to perform for us? Instead of simply coming to the table and saying, Lord, these are the things that we have. This bread, this wine, these offerings that we bring to you, this is what we have. And to invite him to take those things without the assumption that we're going to get anything back. That's the part of our definition of love that we talk about here so often that it's easy for us to skip over when we're talking about Jesus. That Jesus is inviting us to love him the way that he loves us. That means everything that we have, everything that we are, holding nothing back and expecting nothing in return. Expecting nothing in return means that it costs us. Expecting nothing in return is what makes love, love. And how often do I present myself at the table and just assume that Jesus is going to show up and that Jesus is going to do all of the things that he does when we come to his table? Instead of saying, Lord, we're laying out a table for you. We're bringing our things to you, Lord. And we invite you to sit with us. Jesus, just come and sit with us. Because when that happens, John says, there's enough wine for everyone. Better than we ever imagined. Because John says when that happens, we find living water. Because John says when that happens, the multitudes will be fed. Because we didn't have any expectations. We only wanted to be near Jesus. To invite him to this table. To invite him to our 
tables in our homes. Not inviting him there to serve us, but inviting him there so that we can serve him. Because it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.